0: At TwoBrain, we have over 20 mentors from around the world, from Canada to New Zealand. We interview every single one of those mentors of the Brain team to show you how they got started in their business and how the path has led them to mentoring. These paths that they have all taken are different, but allow you to better understand each and every one of them. Connect with a mentor that best fits you. On this episode, we talked to Oscar. He is a not only a gym owner, but uh, he has a unique ability. Uh, and what that is, is he comes from a different country. He comes from Sweden. Him and his partner, Carl, uh, who is also a mentor, work with gym owners that are unique in their own country, especially in the Europe community. We jump into what it was like growing up in Sweden, uh, going through his MBA in finance, and we get into him going across continents to adopt his daughter, where he was supposed to spend three months that actually turned out to be 11 months in country, how he quit his job to open up a gym, and why he became a mentor. Enjoy. All right, I'm on another edition of our Two Brain Mentor series with Oscar. How are you, sir? I'm really good. How are you? I'm doing well. So as we continue on with this series, um, we're getting every single mentor on here to talk to you about uh, your journey to mentorship or being able to uh, become a mentor within two brains. So let's start at the beginning. Um, Let's start with where you kind of led from uh, to kind of bring you along this path.
1: All right. So I grew up in in Sweden. Uh, Throughout my youth, I was being active, playing sports. Ice hockey was my main sport, and I played it at a decent level until I was about twenty. Uh, then I decided that I'm probably not going to make it to the NHL. That was my goal, so I shift gear and uh, I went to university, got an MBA in finance instead, and kept doing that for quite some time. And then I, in 2009, I played a um, kind of a beer league pickup soccer game <laughs> <laughs> and i tore my acl oh wow uh so and then i bumped into an old buddy of mine that i played hockey with and he said at this gym that he was working out uh they were doing crossfit and crossfit was really good for for rehabbing injuries so i thought that they were doing they had a program at this specific gym called called crossfit and uh he said that it's just like what we've been doing in off season because we had a few Russian coaches when I grew up, so we were doing a lot of weightlifting and gymnastics and, and cardio with that in, in combination. Uh, so we said, it's basically what we were, uh, we were basically doing CrossFit. Uh, so I said, that that sounds cool. So uh, I, I I started doing CrossFit at the specific gym to rehab uh, my knee. I've been doing some, you know, working out by myself, but I kind of enjoy working out in in a group, right? Cause that's team sports is my background. And then after about six months, I figured out that this CrossFit thing was bigger than at the specific gym because over one weekend they shut down and some guy from the U S was going to come over and taught a seminar and, and that was Pat Sherwood and some other people. So then I figured out that this CrossFit was kind of a cool thing and uh, I enjoyed it, but I also enjoyed being a banker. Uh, I like numbers. I like uh, spreadsheets. Uh, I don't, maybe I don't have that many friends, but, uh, you know, like, <laughs> I like, like numbers, spreadsheets and and, and finance. So I, I, and I enjoy banking. I was doing uh commercial banking, some, um, foreign exchange trading and so on. And everything in my life kind of took a big turn in, in 2012, because in 2012, me and my wife went to Zambia to adopt our daughter. She was, uh, three months old at the time. And, we were going to be there for for three months, and they said they're probably gonna. You know, you're not gonna have that much access to internet or, or TV. So, bring books. And I'm like, cool. I'll, I'll just uh, download everything from this CrossFit Journal thing because that sounds, you know, being by myself and and you no, know, no TV, no internet. So, I'll download everything from the journal and just watch and read that for three months, and i we will be home. But it's not going to be the the Twitter version of that whole, uh, experience, but we were going to be there for three months, but eventually we ended up being there for 11 months, not really knowing if we're ever going to get home with our daughter. And we were kind of living on a day-to-day, uh, um, uh, I mean, you know, day-to-day situation. And, and I was running around in the, Zambian uh, um, uh, capital trying to figure out who to talk to, to finally get us home. And for the first extra weeks it was kind of nice to be in Zambia, you know, it's cool with Africa and, and, and you know, lions and, and elephants not really far away from where we were living. But it became kind of uh, stressful to to uh, walk around and try to figure out who to talk to to finally get home, if possible. So in order to find strength, I watched the Cross the Journal uh, movie, uh the videos and read all the articles, you know, from like eight PM till midnight every night, and then I woke up in the morning and started walking the streets of, of Lusaka, in Zambia, to try to figure out who to talk to. And that gave me motivation uh, to to uh, break the monotony of just sitting around and waiting for people, but it also sparked my interest in, in, in fitness. And being in Zambia, to see the, the poverty and seeing, you know, I think about more than 20% of the population in the country are... HIV positive, very friendly country but very poor and I felt that I need to do something else with my life I can't just go back to being a banker and uh, you know count money uh, 24/7. So I decided I need to improve the world and, and I'm not a scientist I'm not gonna figure out a, a vaccine for something I'm not a you know a, a writer like uh, you know Dostoevsky or someone that's gonna you know create a, a, a movement. And I'm certainly no Gandhi, but I think that I have a decent understanding for, for sports. And, and, uh, so I said, well, that can maybe be my path to at least help a few people in, in life. So fast forward everything else. So when I got home, I, uh, decided to, uh, quit banking and, uh, open a gym. I took my level one and I, um, uh, opened a gym. I actually bumped into an old friend. I haven't met for 10 years. Carl, he's also now a mentor. Uh, and he had had a kind of a similar journey like me, you know, office guy, and then decided that that was not the, the path he wanted to go. So we decided to open up a gym here in Stockholm, Sweden, and uh, really focus on health and, and uh, quality of life for, for uh, normal people.
0: Very nice. So uh, throughout this process, um Now that you've, you guys both decided to quit your day jobs and open a gym, um, what was that process like? I mean, uh, for context with, with people that are in the U S it's $3,000 for their affiliate fee. Now they have their level one, which is another thousand. They get their insurance, they buy some equipment, um, and they kind of hit the ground running. Um, being in a different country is, is it similar? Is it different? What, what's kind of that process?
1: Like, it, it, it's kind of similar. I think Stockholm is, is you know, the cost of living is, you know, like any bigger city in the US, I guess. So there's no big difference there. I think uh, one difference that the Carl and I had, that's that when we opened in 20, 2014, uh, both of us have business backgrounds. So we, we didn't come from a, a, we need a place to train, then make a job. We kind of came from a different, you know, angle. Like we, we were, pretty dialed in on finance that we needed we because we were leaving good paying jobs we needed we got families we understood how much money we need to break in from the the beginning so under the circumstances we opened we're not that different from most gym owners but we had a slightly different uh approach going into it like we knew that the space we opened up in could not cost that much you know it was a 2,200 square feet of maybe 1,400 square feet of workout area. It's a uh, nine-foot ceiling. Uh, we figured, we found out two days after opening that the Red Cross Center for Tortured Refugees are two stores above us, uh, which oh, is wow. not good for dropping barbells. Uh, no. Just outside, we are, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's you know, there's a homeless shelter not far away from us, and, and so it's in a pretty... You know, we had the, we had some some challenges. Not the most uh, uh, attractive area in in Stockholm, yet we needed that because otherwise we couldn't afford to pay the rent that for other places that we wanted.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Uh, so what 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 was the process uh, to kind of navigate through to uh, to get you to the point where you guys are today?
1: Well, it's 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 like most people. It's been a long journey. Uh, we started in that. Uh, that room, so to say, we kind of grew, f- you know, we didn't really, we, well, we came from it from actually a corporate health perspective first. We, we wanted to run a, like a, a CrossFit for individuals more for fun. And then we are going to focus more on, on corporate health. Cause we had, you know, come from pretty big companies, both of us. And we knew that corporate health were, were uh, at best mediocre. Uh, so that was you know, the angle we came from, and we were doing fairly good in the beginning, uh, but then we found out it's harder to break into a corporate market than just attracting people. Because in 20, 2014 in Sweden, it was kind of like, you know, 10, 11, 12 in the U.S., where, where if you just had a CrossFit sign on the door, you became fairly successful in terms of attracting people. Yeah. So after two years in in or actually in three years we had you know 200 members we were maxed out we couldn't fit more people in. Uh, we got a 93% rates from a landlord, which is kind of steep. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and inside the entire you know and where we are housed uh, at the bottom of this you know office space, there is a small basketball court, not full size, maybe. 1500 square feet or something maybe 1400. So with the help of a, a a real estate lawyer we eventually got that room as well. Uh, so we got we got two rooms now but not more than, you know, two rooms of maybe 1400 square feet of workout area and we pay north of $10,000 a month in rent.
0: Wow, okay. So it's it's definitely not cheap.
1: Not cheap at all, uh, but we are center Stockholm, we're dead center Stockholm, and uh, here in, in uh, bigger cities in Europe, oh, I can only speak for Sweden, the majority of people are, are dependent on public transportation. People have cars, but they use public transportation to get to and from work, so therefore you need to be where people either work or live, and we are trying to be both, and that's the reason why we have to, uh, we have a fairly high uh, rent
0: gotcha so you have to it's it's not like people you have a ton of members that just drive to you guys um it's it's more of you have to be closer to to what their what their occupation is um so that it's it's easy for them to come in get a workout and then go home or come in get a workout and then go to work
1: yes exactly so uh the majority of our members either live around our box within you know 10 15 minutes of walk or either work 10, 15 walk, minute walk, or we are in between, you know, we have a pretty, you know, the commuter station for, for trains, not too far from us and, and a big, you know, uh, subway station is very close to us. So people are either going to and from work. And then obviously we have some people that have moved or left, you know, changed jobs. They're still like us, but we don't attract people. We don't look to how, get people from, from uh, you know, if they're not either living working or passing by our gym.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Um, so now that you guys open your facility, you guys are where you are now. Um, I know there was a, there is a little bit of, um, some changing, uh, within your structure here at, uh, about midway through last year and then, uh, finishing up all the way through the, the end of the year. Uh, can we talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, of course. Uh, so we, we uh, you know, for the first two years, Carl and I were coaching most of the classes. We enjoyed it. But at some point, we figured out that, you know, this is not sustainable. This is not sustainable in terms of, of the commitment we have to our families. This is not sustainable to the commitment to our members that we coach every class because we're going to burn out. We're not going to be around forever if that's happened. So we then, this was probably a year and a half before we, maybe a year before we started talking to Chris actively so we figured out we need more coaches and we would like to make help them you know become uh, full-time coaches so over uh, about a year and a half we attracted a few coaches then at some point we had three full-time coaches and they were they were good they were young but they were really good and they were about coaching about 85% of our our classes uh in personal training in and group and because of Different reasons, uh, you know, no big conflict, but but in a very short time span, they all quit. Uh, so uh, we were left with uh, pretty much no, no full-time coaches. And, uh, you know, just before the summer where, you know, in Sweden, we take at least four weeks vacation off. So it's kind of hard to scramble to get new coaches. So that was quite an interesting uh, situation.
0: And that was that was what eighty five percent of your classes that were being staffed basically yes. gone Correct. from underneath you.
1: Yes. What and um, uh, that's that would be uh, you know, in terms of revenue, they probably brought in, uh, forty, forty thousand a month or so. So it was quite a big dent in our our, you know, to, the members didn't leave with them. But just to put that in context, so eighty five percent of coaches. Uh, our classes coached on personal training and specialty programs kind of over a three and a half week span, kind of <laughs> literally walked out the door.
0: Wow. Wow. What was what was the process to get you guys to um getting back to staffed up and kind of where you guys are now?
1: Yeah, well, at first we said that we were not gonna compromise our summers. Carla and I had made the commitments to our families to to take the summer off for our families. So we said that We could easily go back and coach, but that's not, that's not sustainable. We, we see if we can make this, we had a decent program to, to develop coaches and I have, we, we take coaching pretty serious. We think that coaching at a CrossFit gym should be, you know, it's, it is actually the the core product. And I've been on the CrossFit level one seminar staff now for about a year, year and a half. So, um, we take coaching seriously, we have a very, uh, we, we develop our coaches continuously, and then we decided that we had to essentially take anyone that has been a member and turn them from a, a couch to a CrossFit coach in a month. That was our, our plan. And we had the constraint of, we could not expect anyone to spend more an hour of work and, you know, you know being trained because they had other jobs.
0: So what, uh, what was the outcome of, of that process?
1: Well, now, uh, so we, we found three new full-time coaches, or, or they weren't full-time coaches then. We, 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 we took three people, uh, we, three members, essentially, and, and turned them into full-time coaches uh, within a uh, month and a half.
0: Wow. That's, that's quick. That's very quick.
1: Yes, and and I'd like to think that our members did not really experience that big of a um, quality uh, shift. You know, they had the personality of the the three other coaches that have been there forever. A lot of people started with one of the three coaches that left, which is obviously unfortunate. And, you know, you kind of pull away their, their safety blanket in a sense, but... Our, our session plans are very well written. So if you can read and have a decent understanding of how we're on our classes, you're like 80% clear. And then we gave them pretty specific uh, instructions on, on how to coach class. So we had a pretty uh, uh, detailed SOP for actually coaching. So right after they got the level one, one of them actually had a level one before. Yeah. And so we we wrote very specific SOPs on how to coach classes, and then we evaluated them pretty much daily to, you know, to make sure that they first focused on safety issues and when they could see that all the safety issues were there. Then we started making sure that the coaches then were improving the the movements and the mechanics of all the athletes.
0: Wow. That's awesome. That's awesome to hear. And and very very quick process to get quality too. It's not like you just threw a bunch of people in there and said, "Hey, can you help start coaching classes?" You had a quality product of uh of what you were going to deliver and there was no way you were going to uh be subpar in that whatsoever.
1: No, I I I think we we uh, we have a very uh average, you know, um, um our, our members are pretty average. I think, you know, we're 35 plus maybe even 40 now uh in the open 90 percent of them are scaling at least one workout probably the majority of more than 50 of our members scale more than 50 or more than all pretty much all the the uh workouts in the open so they're not they're not good athletes by any mean but they expect a, a level of of care and quality coaching and and consistency is very important for us uh So we made sure that they were coaching at a very consistent, high quality, consistent, uh, level.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What, uh, so now that you, I mean, you had a very successful gym and and it's still doing well. Um, what has kind of, what was the conversation that kind of led you into mentoring and being able to mentor at two brain, but even outside of that,
1: well, so when I was reading all the journals from, you know, 20, oh, from all two and forward, there was a journal, there was an article from Chris about, I don't, about people with uh, MS, the deceased MS. And we had some relative, I had some relatives back then that had MS. So I thought that was an interesting uh, piece. So I read that and his name stuck out to me. And so I had him back of my mind all the time. I didn't know anything about two brain, anything like that. But then when we opened the gym and we were doing well, but at some point we understood that we we need help to take this further. We're doing well, we pay ourselves, we pay the rent, you know, we can take five weeks vacation, all of that, but we need to, to grow it. So then Chris's name kind of pop up somewhere on the insta webs, I guess. And and we uh, we, you know, we read on, we read up, we read up on, on his stuff. We had a conversation with him. And, you know, so first we obviously became two brand, uh, ourselves. And at some point I think that our, 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 our stories calls in my stories are slightly different from a lot of other owners that we have a business background to begin with. And we are obviously from, from Europe that has a slightly different, um, uh, aspect of of uh, how we see things and, and how we can hopefully help other gyms now because we are between four and five years behind you know north america and the trend is now like when you were five years ago that's kind of where we are now so people are now understanding that you know you can't just run a hobby anymore and people are not just going to come Through the door with the money, you have to actually make this to a a business where you really take care about your members and and treat your staff well and and have your papers in order. So there's a greater uh, demand, I think, in in Europe. And that's probably how the conversation started with uh, Chris.
0: Yeah. And from that point, you guys, uh, you and your partner Carl, both, uh, which we will have we'll have here um, to talk about his story and everything, of course, on the mentor series. Uh, but you guys then, from that point, um, started the the mentorship process. Is that correct?
1: Correct. That's that's how I started. That was about a year ago. So I was in uh, probably more than that, year and a half ago, I think. So I was interning at the uh, Level One Seminar staff at the same time as I was interning at at uh, 2 brain
0: Oh wow, heavier! You have your uh, your plate kind of full there with uh doing that plus running the gym or yeah. at least uh, uh overseeing it.
1: Yeah, it was it was uh, probably not something I would recommend to anyone, but you know, when 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 situations occur, you kind of have to step up and I I think I was the gym was running fairly well by itself, so uh, I I could step up and and do those things, but they were I probably had a slightly higher cortisol level and uh slightly less sleep than what would be recommended. Uh, but it all turned out fairly well, I think.
0: <laughs> I could believe that now throughout this process from the very beginning, when you had, I mean, when you started in the corporate world and kind of built out from there, um, do you feel like everything that, that has led you through your personal path has, has helped you become a better mentor?
1: I think so. I, I, I do think I have two strengths. Uh, one is I, I have a decent understanding of, of finance numbers. Uh, I, I like that. I like spreadsheets. I, I like to you know, look at the numbers. I'm pretty, pretty good at seeing connections b- between numbers and how they actually can materialize. That's one thing that happened. Also, being stuck in a, a completely foreign country would pretty much on your own. Yeah, you know, we, we were living well, you know, there was not a problem, but we were left to my own devices and we were trying to figure out how to essentially get home. And and I have a, you know, we in Scandinavia tend to be slightly stoic and I think that also helped me. And, in, in, you know, I, I, I didn't get too frustrated over the situation that I had limited control over. External, uh, external you know, conditions are not something that, I, I spend too much time thinking about. And if, even during all those months that kind of reinforce that, that it doesn't really help me to spend time on things that I cannot control.
0: Gotcha. Do you, do you feel like with now being a mentor uh, that you still learn from the people that you mentor, your mentees?
1: Oh, Yes uh it it's it's a very humbling experience uh to talk to other people because uh our gym is not perfect by 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 no means and i am not perfect and and Carla's not perfect and you know we all can improve on everything and and it's 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 very invigorating to talk to someone that is you know I have a mentee right now in Holland she has about seven members in her garage she wants to expand and, and some of the things she's saying is something I write down and I'm going to implement that we have a slightly different setup for our gym but her thoughts if I can just look at the meta of what she's talking about something something's going to improve my gym my relationship with Carl my family and also how I can mentor other gyms so it's it's a it's a you know, learning on the job as well.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. No, I agree with that. If uh, if somebody is out there, whether they're going with two brain or not, um, and they're thinking about getting a mentor, uh, what's one thing you would tell them?
1: I think you know, the obvious answer is you know, yes. But I, I think that it's a bigger question that. Are you willing to expose yourself? And I mean that by by you know, are you willing to to drop your ego and be open and vulnerable for for feedback? Because that's essentially how it is. I think that coaching and, and mentoring are 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 slightly different, but it all you know it all comes down from a from help first perspective. But in in, in mentoring you know, if if I, if I am mentoring you, I, I, you tell me, you know, your, your situation and I try to, you know, do my best to, to kind of, you know, step into your shoes and then, you know, see the word from your eyes while coaching in a gym is more of, I kind of have the answer and and I'm going to tell you how I want you uh, to move based on, you know, certain set of criteria, you know, if you look to the extremes. So, I think there's a greater sense of trust that is required if you're talking about mentor mentee relationship. And in there, I think you have to be vulnerable to open up for, for, for feedback. Slightly different than if you're being coached, if that makes sense.
0: No, it does. That does. That makes perfect sense. And being understanding that, um, that one way you may look at it may may not always be one hundred percent correct or right or wrong, even for that matter. Um, that your mentor can kind of uh, let you look at it from a different point of view, in a way, right? And I, being yeah. willing to change,
1: yes. And I think that you know, I don't know how many times we have changed our you no know, sweat intro process. You know, it's it's essentially the same. You come in and sit down, and we'll talk, and we give you a recommendation. But, but over the years, we've probably made changes to like fifty times. Not big changes, but mind changes I would think is going to improve it, you know, based on mentor feedback or, you know, feedback from someone else in the two brain or, you know, from God knows who. And if you're not willing to, to change and especially having someone tell you that your beliefs are, are subpar, which, you know, a mentor will awfully do because obviously I have a mentor as well then if, if you don't understand that they're doing that from a help first perspective and they want to really improve you know, your quality of life, then I, 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 I wouldn't recommend anyone to have a mentor if they're not open for that.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. Um, and I think that's a perfect place to wrap it up. Oscar, thank you so much for your time. If somebody is out there listening to the podcast and said, hey, you know what? I really resonate with what Oscar says. I want to get uh, a hold of him. What's the best way for somebody to contact you?
1: It would be to email me at Oscar with a K at com, or find me somewhere else on Perfect. the internet webs. <laughs>
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, Oscar. I greatly appreciate your time and ability to jump on here. I know the time zones are a little different here from the U S to over in Sweden, but thank you for taking the time to be able to uh, jump on here and tell us your story.
1: Thank you very much, buddy. As always,
0: thank you so much for listening to this podcast. We greatly appreciate you and everyone that has subscribed to us. If you haven't done that, please make sure you do. Drop a like to the episode, share with a friend, and if you haven't already, please write us a review and rate us on how, what you think. If you hated it, let us know. If you loved it, even better. See you guys later.